Thank you very much indeed, Ewan, and thank you very much, WinFam, and uh, to all the lovely people of Winchester, I owe so much to this city. This is the city of my new birth, and uh, in 1977, January the 17th, I was walking down Kingsgate Street, and the Lord met with me, and nothing has ever been the same again in my life. This afternoon, I was, uh, for the first time since I left Winchester College, in 1978, walking down Kingsgate Street with my team. Just the very, very steps that I took that night in 1977, remembering all those feelings as the Holy Spirit worked upon my heart, uh, as I was convicted of my sin and shown my need of a Savior. And I ran round to my maths teacher's house in Culver Mews and gave my life to Jesus. And the next day, woke up feeling truly alive. It was so exciting walking down that street again today for the first time in such a long time. I felt like I wanted to put a plaque somewhere, but I've um, been told that that's not permitted. But I owe so much to this city, and I want to thank you very, very much from my heart tonight for taking up an offering for the work of the Father's House Trust. We live entirely by faith, week by week, month by month, and our dream is to bring the Father's love to the fatherless all over the world and to bring an end to the global pandemic of fatherlessness. And so we have a big dream and a small team, mainly volunteers, and uh, we really believe that God has called us to this. So we're living by faith. So to hear that tonight you've decided to take the offering for us is a fantastic joy. So thank you so much in advance for your generosity in that. Now I have a message tonight. I want to get straight into it without any further ado, if I may. And uh, the message has what may appear in the first instance to have a strange title. I woke up with this phrase in my head about a month ago, and this is a word I feel under a mandate to give almost wherever I go now, um, if I have that opportunity given to me. And the title of this message is this, If the People Won't, the Dogs Will. Now, right now, you'll be thinking, "This, this man's a loony or... This man's got some screws loose, or this man's got some odd choices of titles. But that is what I woke up with about a month ago. If the people won't, the dogs will. I want to say something about dogs for a moment. Now, I love dogs. I am a dog lover. I have a beautiful black Labrador who is just over one year old called Molly. I love her, and she loves me. And when I get home tonight at about half past 10, 11 o'clock this evening um, to my new house in Watford, she will be the person that will be most pleased to see me, at least in terms of overt expressions of behavior. Now, my wife will be extremely pleased to see me, but she won't be behaving quite the same way as my Labrador. Nothing more needs to be said on that front. Dogs are wonderful. Cats are not quite so wonderful, in my opinion. Somehow I've ended up with two cats and one dog, and I don't quite know how that that, that can be. They are very different creatures. Dogs have masters. Cats have staff. A dog says, you pet me, you feed me, you shelter me, you love me. You must be God. Cat says, you pet me, you feed me, you shelter me, you love me. I must be God. (laughs) Cats and dogs are very different from one another. I think I fell in love with black Labradors back in 1986. I think I was probably already very, very fond of them because we, in my family, grew up with them. But I remember in 1986, I'd just been ordained as a curate in the Church of England and my first parish was in Nottingham in a place called Stapleford. And I went out with my Black Labrador Midge Bill on day five after my ordination. Midge and I went for a run uh, behind the parish in some farmland, some fields next to a river where there was a public footpath. We were running along the public footpath next to the, um, the river when a bull appeared out of a hedge. It just appeared, and it wasn't a nice bull. It was a bull with a big, bad attitude. I learned later that it had come down from Birmingham on British Rail the day before, so I have some measure of understanding for this. But um, it ran towards me with its horns down, 
and it attacked me, and it hit me in my midriff and tossed me three or four feet into the air into the river. Now, I was in the river trying to get my footing on the bottom of the river, but it was very, very slippery mud, and I couldn't get my footing. And worse still, I turned around and I saw that this bull was coming head down into the river to finish me off. I remember thinking, I've only been ordained five days. <laughs> what a way to go. For heaven's sake, Lord, where are you? Come on. Help. And at that moment, my black Labrador, Midge, let loose this, what I can only describe as a primeval howl. It was frightening even to me, and she was my dog. And she leapt onto the back of this bull and started to bite the bull. This gave me some precious seconds of time, and I managed to somehow beat the current and swim over to the other side of the river. The bull swiveled round to attack my dog, but my dog, dog uh, Midge had jumped off the bull and ran down the side of the river at very full speed, much fitter and faster than the bull, and then crossed the river much lower down and came up to where I was sitting now in a state of shock, absolutely soaking wet on the side of the river. I'd just been minding my own business having a run, and a bull attacks me. And so now my dog sits next to me. The bull is the other side of the river, and my dog just spends the next five, ten minutes while I'm sitting there barking at this bull, but the bull doesn't come across. I think I fell in love with Labradors and with dogs. I don't know a single Siamese or any other kind of cat that would have done that for me. I really don't. I mean, it's hard enough to get a cat to go out and run with you in the first place, isn't it? That got into the press because uh, loads of people witnessed this incident, unknown to me. And uh, within a few days, it was, a, it was headline news in The Sun and in the News of the World and all sorts of other newspapers. My favorite headline was, Holy Cow. Um, the interesting thing is that for the next three and a half to four years of being cured in that parish, I didn't have to make any effort to get to know anybody. It was the best thing that happened to me. 17,000 people in the parish, and everywhere I went, they all went, oh, gosh, are you all right, Pastor? Are you all right? Are you, have you recovered fully? And they all knew who I was. I remember that parish for this one statistic. I do like a pint of ale, by the way. That is one of my little weaknesses. And in the course of those four years, I didn't pay for a single drink in my parish because I did the rounds of all the pubs, not in one evening, I understand, over the course of four years. And during that time... All the landlords said, oh, it's, it's you. Well, let, have a drink on us. You need it after that experience, even four years down the line. Wonderful. I do miss that place. So I think I fell in love with dogs a long time ago, and I have been more than a cat man. I've been a, a dog man, if you understand me. But not everyone loves dogs. Not everyone loves dogs. Some people, if they have had a bad experience of a dog, for example, when they were a child and being bitten by a dog when they were a child dogs can be very 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 threatening and in some cultures it's true to say that dogs are not a man's best friend and that they are despised dogs in the Middle East for example are not regarded as pets and the Bible comes out of the Middle East as you know and it contains therefore by and large a negative attitude towards dogs Isaiah 56 says this, Israel's watchmen are blind. I'm reading from verse 10. They all, they all lack knowledge. They are all mute dogs. They cannot bark. They lie around and dream, and they love to sleep. That is not a positive spin on dogs. They are dogs, the prophet writes, of Israel's watchmen, with mighty appetites. They never have enough. Here, dog is a negative metaphor. In the New Testament, Philippians 3, Paul says in verse 2, Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. And in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 14, St. John writes this, Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and who practices falsehood. In ancient first century Judaism, 
Dogs were regarded as unclean animals, almost as unclean as pigs. The Mishnah notes, none may rear pigs anywhere, and a man may not rear a dog unless it is bound by a chain. Now, why am I talking to you about dogs? You probably think I've completely lost the plot. Well, come with me to Luke chapter 16, verse 19. And this is a very famous parable that Jesus told about the rich man and a man by the name of Lazarus. Beginning of verse 19, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Now, I think this is an incredibly prophetic and extremely important piece of Bible uh, text for us today. It's one of a sequence of three parables on stewardship. There's a kind of trilogy here in Luke 15 and Luke 16. And these three parables are all about stewardship. The teaching of Jesus on stewardship is this, that we are not the owners of what we have. We are the managers or we are the stewards. And this applies not just to money and finance, but also to time and to our talents and gifts. In Luke 15, verses 11 to 32, we have the parable of the prodigal son. And in that story, a prodigal wastes his father's possessions. Then in Luke 16, verses 1 to 8, we have a dishonest steward wasting his master's possessions. And then in Luke 16, verses 9 to 13, that I've just read to you, a rich man wastes his own possessions. This story that I've just read to you is about a man who squanders his own resources. He is a rich man. He has certain traits that are very revealing if you read them within context. He wears purple and fine linen, according to Jesus. Purple is only worn in the ancient world by really wealthy people. It's a status symbol. So every day he's wearing purple. Fine linen is a rather lame translation by the NIV, the New International Version. It actually refers to state-of-the-art underpants. That's what Jesus is referring to. The Greek word busos goes back to an Egyptian word that means fine quality underwear. Now, Jesus has a sense of humor. Did you realize that, by the way? He's not boring. And as these details are being spoken about in the delineation of this character, the original listeners would have laughed. Here is a man who's wearing Armani suits every day and Calvin Klein underwear to boot. That's the kind of description we're being given. 
And every day he's wearing these clothes, and every day he's feasting sumptuously. Now, we're not Jewish, most of us, I, I presume, in this room. But if you were Jewish, you'd read these details, you'd think, wait a minute, every day he was feasting sumptuously. That means he was breaking the Sabbath, because he would have feasted on the seventh day, the Queen of Days, Shabbat, from Friday 6 p.m. to Saturday 6 p.m. Every day means that he was breaking one of the commandments and also causing the servants and his guests within his home to break one of the commandments as well. He had a gate, we read, and therefore had an estate. He probably had an ornamental gate that opened onto the street. And he was used to being served great food, and he was used to giving orders to his servants. Now, the poor man also has interesting character traits. He's the only person in any of the parables of Jesus to be given a name. He is called Lazarus, Eliezer in Hebrew, which is ironic in some ways because Eliezer means the one whom God helps. And if there's anyone that seems to be unhelped by God, it is this poor man who's at the gates and who is in desperate straits. He's right outside the entrance to the rich man's house, a matter of feet from the table where this daily sumptuous feasting is going on. He was laid there, so he was too sick to walk, and he was carried by friends to the rich man's gate every day. He desired, we read, he desired the leftovers. Now, the Greek verb desired here is used of wanting something that you aren't able to have. Like the prodigal son, same word, who desires, the chapter earlier, desires the pods the pigs feed on. Luke 15, verse 16. Now, this poor man, Lazarus, would have overheard the conversations of these rich men every day. He would have been passed by them as they went in and out of the gates. The contrast between him and the rich man is striking. The rich man has a big house, but the poor man has nowhere to lay his head. The rich man has access to medical and health care, but the poor man has none. The rich man has plenty of food every day, but the poor man goes hungry. But there is a moment in the story when everything changes and the tables are turned as both men seem to die at the same time. And the rich man goes to hell, the poor man goes to heaven. The rich man is now thirsty, the poor man is now satisfied. The rich man is in agony, but the poor man is in ecstasy. And in spite of all this, in spite of all this, the rich man continues to give orders in heaven. He says, send Lazarus to serve me some water. Even in hell, he's not remorseful. Even in hell, his character is not changing. He is still barking orders. Send Lazarus from where you are, Abraham, to where I am so that he can serve me. I want him to be my waiter. Now, the interesting thing about this, friends, is that the rich man clearly knew who Lazarus was. He points to Lazarus in heaven and says to Father Abraham, send Lazarus. He knows his name. That means he knows that this man has been outside his ornamental gates day in, day out, denied medical basic care and food and clothing to boot. But Lazarus is quiet. I don't know if you've ever noticed this about this parable. Whilst the rich man continually speaks, Lazarus says nothing. He speaks no words of revenge. How many of you know that when you've transitioned from a very bad place to a very good place, the people that gave you hell in the bad place no longer really seem to matter that much after all? And you can enter into the dignity of silence about those people, even though at the time it was so, so hard. I think there's amazing character contrast between the two main characters, but it's not those two characters I want to concentrate on. It's the dogs. I think they might have been Labradors. What were they doing? What were they? Why does Jesus include them in the story? Now, I have something prophetic to share with this city in a minute. 
So bear with me while I'm in teaching mode, would you? Because I'm preparing the ground to say something that I believe may be of help to you. What were they doing, these dogs? Well, they were not pets. They were the rich man's guard dogs. Because a wealthy man with a walled estate would have had aggressive guard dogs to protect his possessions. But these guard dogs are doing something very, very interesting. They are licking Lazarus' wounds. They are actually ministering to Lazarus. Now, I don't know whether you have dogs on your ministry team. I don't know whether you have a ministry team. Closest I've ever seen to a dog being on a ministry team was at St. Andrew's Chorleywood. When we had a day conference one time, I remember the place was absolutely packed, and there was a man on the front row, he was a blind man with a guide dog, a black Labrador. And I was leading the meeting, so I have to say I was very focused on the dog. Sitting at the front, just looking down at the dog. And when it came time for the ministry time, I said, come forward, everyone who wants ministry, I really would love to pray for you. And there were bodies everywhere. People were going down under the power of the Holy Spirit, and they were getting healed and set free. It was a very dramatic moment, as I recall. Very, very powerful ministry time. I remember this, this guy on the front, and he was obviously soaking in the power of God, but his Labrador was lying on her side on the ground, on the carpet at the front with all the other bodies. And as I, as I made my way down, and as I was praying for all the people, I came to the Labrador, and I thought, oh, I can't resist this. I turned to the man, and I said, do, do you mind if I just pet your Labrador for a moment? I'm a little bit tired with all this praying, um, and I really need just a quick breather, and do you mind? And he said, no, no, go right ahead. Please be my guest. So I start stroking this Labrador and saying, oh, you're so flipping beautiful. You're amazing. You're so soft. I love you. Oh, stop licking me. Oh, you're absolutely exquisite and you're so fit. Amazing. Well, (laughs) I then went down after I'd done that a few times to a lady who was about three... (laughs) three down from the Labrador, who is called Amanda and ordained and who knew me. And I I prayed for her. And about three days later, Amanda wrote me an email saying, great conference, thanks so much. Um, Just like to say, though, that I was a little bit disappointed in the ministry time because, um, you know, just a a little, a few feet up from me, you, you were clearly enjoying a very personal, intimate moment with the person that you were praying for, saying how lovely you're beautiful and very soft and extremely fit. But when you came to me, you just said, come Holy Spirit. Um, Have I done something? Just had to reassure her that I'd been loving a Labrador at the moment. That's the closest I think we've ever had to a Labrador in a ministry team. But these dogs in this story, I really want you to see this, were serving Lazarus. They were helping him. Now, here's an important point. There are some wrong translations of this particular part of this parable, and I just want to correct them. The Revised Standard Version says this, Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And the New International Version and the New Revised Standard Version say, Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, it sounds from those two translations that the dogs were further tormenting Lazarus, that he was, you know, the the good man, the poor man was down, but these dogs were now licking his sores and making his life even more miserable. But the word in the original Greek is not to be translated moreover, and it is not to be translated even It is to be translated, but in stark contrast. That is the accurate translation. But in stark contrast to the rich man getting fatter and fatter at his table along with his guests. In stark contrast, the dogs outside the gates licked Lazarus' wounds. Now, what's so significant about that? The ancients knew something that until very recently we have forgotten. They knew 
that in the canine saliva there is endogenous peptide antibiotics. They wouldn't have called it that, but they knew that dogs have in their saliva healing properties. The ancients knew that. In 1994, a Harvard archaeologist discovered 1,300 dogs buried in ancient Ashkelon, where there was a healing center between the 5th and the 3rd centuries B.C. The dogs were trained to lick wounds, and in return, their masters were paid a fee. I read of this story just a few weeks ago. Mitch Bonham, owner of a Jack Russell Terrier named Milo, had surgery after a debilitating industrial accident, and although the operation was successful, while recovering, he developed a condition known as pseudex atrophy, whereby his nerves became traumatized and his leg became discolored and began to wither. Mr. Bonham's medical consultant told him that his leg would most probably need to be amputated. But his faithful little dog, Milo, helped to save his master's leg by continuously licking the wounded limb for hours and hours at a time every day. After five weeks of this dog's licking therapy, Mr. Bonham felt his leg come alive again and found that he was able to move his leg muscles. The consultant was astounded and realized that Milo had helped stimulate the nerves in his master's leg and had thus healed it. The ancients knew something that we have by and large until recently forgotten, that there are healing properties in the saliva of a healthy, and I stress a healthy, dog. The rich man will do nothing. This is the point of the story. This is the point of the detail in the story. The rich man will do nothing, but in stark contrast, his dogs lick Lazarus's sores. This is why Jesus includes them. The rich man has many servants, but Lazarus only one, the guard dogs who are his street angels. Now the dogs in my view, are the unsung heroes of this story. Isn't it just like Jesus to take something despised and turn it into a hero? And that is what has happened to many of us. Now, here's where I want to cut to the chase. And I want to just make some kind of prophetic statement, which I believe you need to weigh and test. I think that many, many churches in the Western world in particular have become like the rich man at his table, continually feasting in the house of, in the house of God, getting fatter and fatter on worship, teaching, and this and that program, all the while the poor and the sick are forgotten outside the house, and yet they are calling and they are crying and they need our help. A German man who lived in Nazi Germany told of his experience, and I included this in our latest book called A Basket of Gems, which is a collection of stories and anecdotes and the like. He said this, I lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. I considered myself a Christian. We heard stories of what was happening to the Jews but we tried to distance ourselves from it because what could anyone do to stop it? A railroad track ran behind our small church and each Sunday morning we could hear the whistle in the distance and then the wheels coming over the tracks. We became disturbed when we heard the cries coming from the train as it passed by. We realized that it was carrying Jews like cattle in the cars. Week after week, the whistle would blow. We dreaded to hear the sound of those wheels because we knew that we would hear the cries of the Jews en route to the death camp. Their screams tormented us. We knew the time the train came past our church, and when we heard the whistle blow, we began singing hymns louder and louder. By the time the train came past our church, we were singing at the top of our voices. If we heard the screams, we sang more loudly, and soon we heard them no more. Years have passed, but I still hear that train whistle 
in my sleep. God, forgive me. Forgive all of us who called ourselves Christians and yet did nothing. I believe that we cannot ignore the poor and we cannot ignore the sick. One of the things that happened to us at St. Andrew's Chorley Wood where I was vicar up until January of this year, was that God turned us as a church inside out. We didn't realize that that was going to happen, but we were caught, as it were, by the wind of the Holy Spirit. And having set ourselves, we let the Holy Spirit lead us. We had been building a come-to-us church, a gathered church. We had plans to build a mega church with a huge facility for many millions of pounds built around pulpit, preaching, ministry, great worship, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then one day, God told us to do something different. We had our building refurbished. We thought we were going to be out of it for three weeks, but it turned out to be ten months. And we, instead of building a great big mega church, we went out into missional communities all over our locality, into coffee shops, school halls, community centers, and into scout huts and homeless shelters and the like. And the effect of breaking out of the building into what I called lifeboats was that we moved from a cruise ship church where everyone was drinking sort of spiritual pina coladas on the deck to being a rescuing community with lots and lots of lifeboats, but where the center was going to be a lifeboat station where we would be training people to save those in peril on the sea of life. Now, I'd love to say it was all my idea. It wasn't. It was the Holy Spirit's idea. But the effect of breaking out of the building is that we went from being a consumeristic church with a provider-client model where everyone came and sat and listened and got fat to a church that broke out of the building. And in the process of doing that, We saw a greater emphasis on ministry to the poor than we have ever had in our history. That's what happened to us. Now, I'm not saying that we were perfect. I'm not saying we didn't make mistakes. And I'm not saying in any shape or form that you should copy St. Andrew's or it's a model that everyone should emulate. I wouldn't ever dream of even implying that. But I am absolutely convinced that God wants us to break out of the house to stop sitting at the table getting fatter and fatter and to hear the cry of the poor and the sick just outside our gates and to get out more. That is what I believe. So I believe that in Winchester and every other city that I visit and have to give this word under this mandate from the Holy Spirit, I believe that the church has two choices in every city. Number one, whether to be constantly fed or go to the sick and pray for miracles. I'm absolutely delighted by what Mark Marx is doing. We, were, we had the immense privilege as a Father's House team to be in Coleraine in Northern Ireland at the Vineyard Church there, which launched Healing on the Streets, where Mark Marx is based. We were there just about six or seven weeks ago, teaching on the Father Heart of God, which is my really my premier message, spiritual adoption and the healing of the orphan heart. But we have such admiration for what Mark Marx has been pioneering all over the world. And it's catching on. We go to many, many places where churches are now ganging together in towns and cities to go out onto the streets, to break out of the safe comfort zone of their church buildings and their religious ghettos to put up seats on a street in a city center with a banner simply saying healing and dare to pray for those who are not Christians but who are in great need, who might never darken the doors of a church building but who would come and sit in a chair and say, yes, I have cancer, please would you pray for me? You see, it isn't Jesus that's the problem with lost people, it's the church. But when the church breaks out of the safe place, the so-called sacred space, and discovers that God's already there in the so-called secular space, that's when the lost will find Jesus. We have got to get out more. 
And it thrills me, it thrills me that Mark Marks is just this kind of ordinary guy plucked from nowhere. He's not even an ordained man or a paid member of the staff team at Coleraine or anything like that. He's just like an ordinary guy with an extraordinary God. And this is what's going to happen more and more. And I'm telling particularly my fellow clergy and leaders that if we will not release this, God will raise up people within our congregations who have an entrepreneurial, adventurous spirit and they will break out and do it anyway. So we better well bless it in any case. We have a choice. We can either be constantly fed or go to the sick and pray for miracles. And I'll tell you what, I have never, ever, ever been more convinced that God does miracles. And especially on the streets where the honor of his name is at stake. And I believe if we have the courage and the faith just to take those small steps, we will find Jesus there already on the streets. And we will see signs and wonders and miracles in Winchester. Blind eyes being opened, deaf ears hearing, the lame leaping out of wheelchairs and leaping for joy in accordance with the promises of Scripture. And even there will come a day somewhere in some crematorium in Winchester, some clergyman, I predict, I prophesy, who's had enough of doing endless funerals with bleak, faithless atmospheres and hymns, just turns towards the coffin and says, enough of this, in the name of Jesus, get out of that box. And it happens. I've had 26 years of taking funerals in crematoriums. And I would like just one to be messed up by Jesus. To give a great testimony to the name of Jesus. He messed up every funeral he went to in the Gospels by raising the dead person. Lazarus, Jairus' daughter, the son of the widow of Nain. He messed up every funeral he went to, including his own. He would have been the worst funeral director or undertaker in human history. Just once it would be great, wouldn't it? What's the sound, what's the sound of that banging noise? What, oh, it's the coffin. Jesus has raised a dead man from death. Nearest I've ever got to it was in my first parish in Nottingham. Remember the days, some of you, when, um, when organ speakers used to pick up capital radio interference? Those were interesting days. You know, you could be in the middle of a service, all would be quiet, and suddenly Radio 1 would come blasting through the organ speakers. One time, doing a funeral in a crematorium, the coffin with this old guy who'd lived a bit of a reprobate life, was going down the conveyor belt of doom towards the curtains when an ambulance flew past and this male voice came loud and clear through the speakers. Right, I'll be back. (laughs) Nearest I've ever got to it. Signs and wonders breaking out amongst the sick, the blind, the deaf, those with cancer the dying and even the dead, as the church dares to break out from the table of spiritual obesity through its ornamental gates onto the streets where the sick are lying sore and wounded and desperate, as it were. And the second choice we have, being constantly fed or showing mercy to the poor, strikes me that in this story the dogs have more compassion than the people They show more humanity than the humans do. The church is sitting and eating while people are weeping in the place of restriction. And we need to minister to the poor. Paul said in Galatians 2.10, remember the poor. I think there's a choice here. There's a coming move of the Holy Spirit. I think it will be characterized by a number of things. But one of them, I believe will be a combination of miracles and mercy. Miracles and mercy. For a number of years now, I've been preaching out of Ezekiel 47, 
where the river of God flows out from the house into the Arabah, the Great Depression. And it starts off ankle high and then it grows and it becomes knee high and then waist high and then it's so deep you're in over your head. A gradual increase in the river of God. And Ezekiel the prophet is asked by his angelic tour guide, do you see this son of man? And he says, yes. And then he sees more when he says, yes, there's more to this river. Everywhere the river goes, the river brings life. And then perhaps most spectacularly of all, even beyond the incredible, incredible abundance of marine life that this river produces. Verse 12, fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. When the river of God breaks out from the house of God, and notice please the momentum is from the inside out, not the outside in. As the river carries the people of God out from the house, we're going to see life, the life of the Holy Spirit. But as these fruit trees grow, we'll see two things. We'll see fruit that will serve for food, for the feeding of the hungry. And we'll see leaves for the healing of the sick. Mercy and miracles. So often, you know, we have had churches that have emphasized the one, but not the other. So we've had churches that have emphasized healing miracles, signs and wonders, and the supernatural. And then other churches that have emphasized social justice, ministry to the poor, the feeding of the hungry, and the clothing of the naked. But now I believe in the days in which we live, the days that are coming, there's going to be an integration of these two realities. And we're going to see trees growing, churches emerging that say we will no longer tolerate the tyranny of either or. We're going to embrace the genius of both and. And we will have both a heart for justice and mercy, but we will also have a heart for miracles and signs and wonders. I'm looking for both and churches right now because I believe that That's where revival is going to break out. It may not look like what you expect. It may not look like what's happened before. But this will characterize it. The people of God will be breaking out from the safe comfort zones of the table of spiritual obesity and of consumerism. And they will be a relentless, unstoppable force of love. I call it Dad's Army. They will be out on the streets healing the sick and ministering to the poor in miracles and mercy, not either or, but both and. And I'm terrifically excited by seeing these things happen even now. It's time to get up from the table, go to the hungry and feed them. We just can't go on and on getting fatter and fatter and fatter while the sick get sicker and the poor get poorer. I'm going to conclude with this thought before I pray for you. Numbers are really important in Scripture. They often carry symbolic value. Luke 16, the parable that I've been rooting all of this in tonight, he answered, this is the rich man in hell. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. The rich man has five brothers. That means that there are six of them in total. Six is a number in Scripture that is symbolic of imperfection, of incompletion, and even of evil. Seven, on the other hand, in Judaism even to this day, is symbolic of perfection and of completeness. All that these six brothers needed to do to become complete in the eyes of God, at least in this stage of their lives, was to invite Lazarus as if he were their brother to their table. If they had gone outside the gates and invited the poor man to their table as their brother, there would have been seven of them at the table. 
And that would have been good in the eyes of God. I think this is a challenge to the Western churches right now. Get down from the table and break out of the gates. Because if the people won't, then the dogs will. And I'm not sure what might happen. If we don't do it, whom might God allow to do it instead? I do not want Jesus to pass us by. I want to be part of this. And I'm really excited by the thought that in Winchester, people are breaking out from the safe places and wanting to minister to the sick and feed the hungry. This is very, very, very close to the Father heart of God. Abba Father, Daddy Father God loves this stuff. He loves anything that looks like kindness. And this is kind. And I want to commend it to you and say to the city of Winchester that's been so good to me, break out. It's not like it's wrong to be fed. Some of you will be thinking that. Is he saying it's wrong to be No, it's not wrong to be fed. Be fed, but go out from the gates and feed the hungry. Bring them back to your table. Heal the sick. Bring them back to your table because as you do, it will complete you in the most beautiful kingdom way imaginable and it will thrill the heart of Father God. So I'm wondering if in this room tonight, if there's anyone who has eyes to see or ears to hear or a mind or a heart to understand what the Father's will is. I'm wondering if there's anyone here tonight who wants to sign up to break out of the gates and minister miracles and minister mercy to the many people in this city and in the surrounding areas where you may come from beyond the city precincts, as it were, the city boundaries, who are absolutely desperate for a touch of God, who may not come because they're not yet invited, and in any case, they may not feel that they're safe to come. But if you went to them rather than employed a safe come-to-us model of mission, they would say yes to the invitation. And you might just, you might just as a result of your ministry, lead people to an eternal friendship with Jesus in the process that would mean that they're in heaven because of what you've done. Thrilling. Absolutely thrilling. Now, I live for this. My heart beats for this. And I pray that yours will beat for it too. That as Mark Marks comes to the next meeting here, as you as city churches meet together to talk about healing on the streets, that this will in some ways prepare our hearts in the city of Winchester to say, yes, we'd love to be trained, but Dad, tonight, here in October 2009 in the city of Winchester, before I learn how to do it, grab my heart, capture my heart. So this isn't just another program, but this is the passion of my life. I wonder if there's anybody who wants to respond to this tonight and say, yes, Lord, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Yeah, enough of safe, comfortable consumerism. We're made for better stuff than that. And it's time for the breakout. I, I, I believe that actually, I wonder if there are some church leaders here tonight who want to say yes to this. I, I, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. And if that's you, why don't you just stand right now? If there's church leaders here, feel, yeah, this, this is actually the heart of God. This is really what I, you know, at the end of the day, this is what I'd love to see the people doing. This is what I'd love to do. Don't want to be caught up in endless administration, paperwork, and all the rest. I just want to break out, take Dad's love to those who are not receiving it. Why don't we just all stretch out our hands for a moment, just pray for the leaders those nearby, would you just lay hands on them? These are great guys you've got here in Winchester. Fantastic. Awesome. Praise the Lord. Perhaps some others would just come and lay hands on these wonderful men and women of God. Just come and lay hands on them. Join with me in praying for them. For a revolution in their hearts. Oh, Dad. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's pray for them. Let's intercede for them. 
Because in many ways, these are the gatekeepers. These are the guys that open the gates. Ah, these are the gatekeepers. We pray for the gatekeepers, the spiritual gatekeepers in the city. And others who are here tonight who are not standing, others who are not here tonight who would love to stand. We pray for the spiritual gatekeepers in the city. And we ask, Lord, that you will capture their hearts with an entrepreneurial, missional anointing, Dad, with creativity. But most of all, Dad, not just with ideas in the head, but a real fire in the heart. We pray for that fire of love to come and apprehend and capture every heart of every leader. Don't let hearts grow cold. It's so easy in ministry and leadership, friends, for us to get so busy and sometimes so, so tired that our hearts can grow cold. We pray for these leaders, for hearts on fire, that, Dad, you will shed and spread your love abroad in their hearts in an amazing anointing tonight. Let their hearts expand with a new capacity for compassionate love for the poor and for the sick. Oh, Jesus. Thank you. You told this story for a reason. You told it to provoke something in us, Jesus, that's in your heart. We pray that you'll put it in our hearts as leaders, Jesus. We want to be pioneers of a revolution of kindness. We do not want to be curators of old museums. We don't want to oversee death. We do not want to be undertakers. We want to be risk takers. Bless these leaders with an apostolic, prophetic anointing. We pray in Jesus' name. Pray that you'll come, Lord, in the mighty power of Pentecost. Thank you, Lord, that they can become even more undignified than this, no longer managing a sophisticated system, but rather breaking out with Dad's army. Amazing power of your love, feeding the hungry, healing the sick, setting the captives free. It's really interesting. This morning I had a very vivid vision um, in, in Winchester. I just, I just saw... The Ghostbusters logo. <laughs> I love that old film. The Ghostbusters movie with Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd and co. There was, they turned a white old hearse, a, a hearse into their Ghostbusters vehicle. And they had this little logo on the side with a ghost and a red line across the ghost. And the little motto was, who are you going to call Ghostbusters? And I just, I just sensed the Lord, because I felt it was a bit of an irreverent picture to begin with, you know, because that could get some religious people really mad, um, but not me. And I thought for a moment, what's that all about? I felt God saying, there's coming a time when in this city, people who are not Christians but are in places of authority but who are powerless to change things are going to start saying, who are we going to call the Ghostbusters. We're going to call those whom we know can make a difference and who can change situations in our city, who can set captives free. We pray for these leaders, Lord, that you will use them for such a time as this. I have another word. It's for the young tonight, those in their teens, those in their 20s. I believe that the Holy Spirit has called you to be a generation of the both and not the either-or. That whereas my generation and older have so often been a generation that polarized into either-or, you are going to be a people of the both-and. The Isaiah 61 anointing says that the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me and has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. That's the word. And recovery of sight to the blind. That's healing supernatural kingdom miracles. And to proclaim the year of Jubilee. That's justice with revival. You're going to be a people of the both and, not the either or. I want to invite you to the front. If you are in your teens, if you are in your 20s, or if you qualify as young in any sense of the word, don't get delusional with yourself right now. But if you qualify as young and you have a real heart for what you've heard tonight, to break out from the table beyond the gates and to heal the sick and set the captives free and bring food to the hungry. Would you come now to the front? We want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. I want to pray that what God has put in my heart, He would transplant into your heart, that I would be able to um, pray for each one of you. It would be an immense privilege tonight. I just want to pray that what I freely received, freely you would... (laughs) 
freely I would give. Thank you, Lord, for these very young people here at the front on my right. Thank you, Lord. Can we have the band back? We'd like just a, a little bit of music pray, playing in the background. But I want to invite all those in their teens and 20s, anyone else whose youth is clearly being renewed like the eagles, <laughs> to just start coming to the front. And like the rest of us, and if you're in the balcony in the, uh, the higher levels, as it were, of this building, geographically, physically speaking, and you are young, would you make your way down to the front as well? We want to pray for you. There is a Joshua generation arising. There really is. People like me have almost been like Moses, even though we're not that old. I'm not 120. But it's like there is a Joshua generation that's being raised up to take the land. And I want to pray for you that you would do that, that there would be a breaker anointing on you. Let's everyone in the house raise our hands towards these young people as we pray for them tonight for the anointing of the both and. I can't think of any better way to put it than the anointing of the both and. Mercy and miracles, Dad. Come on, everyone, let's pray. Let's intercede. Because if just this lot got on with it, Winchester would never be the same again. If just this group of young people broke out beyond the ornamental gates, it would change the city. People of the both and miracles and mercy. Joy and justice. Come Holy Spirit. Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, pray for the Isaiah 61 ministry of Jesus. In these young people and through these young people. Come Holy Spirit. Just start to lead us in worship with you. Just everyone else let's begin to worship as we pray and intercede for these youngsters. Pray for an increase in spiritual authority. 
With dunamis power in the kingdom of heaven, let heaven invade earth where these young people set their feet. Let heaven invade earth. Let cancer be healed. Ah. Even within their own families, I pray that in these next few weeks there will be miracles breaking out. Perhaps amongst moms and dads, brothers and sisters, grannies and grandpas, uncles and aunties. Lord, begin even at home. In Jesus' name, fire on these young people. Let the fire of Pentecost fall. Come Holy Spirit, both and mercy and miracles. Come Holy Spirit. More Daddy. More Daddy. Some of you will cross oceans with this. Some of you will stay within this city and it will never be the same again. But some of you are called to the nations. And I speak that to you. Some of you have a Robin Hood anointing on you to take from the rich and to give it to the poor. This is a redemptive version of the Robin Hood anointing. Some of you are called to Africa to minister to orphans and widows. But when you go, it will not just be not just be physical, practical help. You will see miracles. You will take food parcels in one hand and the anointing of the fire of God in the other because you are a generation of the both and. Thank you, Dad. More Holy Spirit. More Holy Spirit. I see a missions anointing on you. I see a missions anointing you. Anointing on you. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. Joy and justice. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Sons and daughters will prophesy. I pray for an increase in prophetic anointing upon these hearts. More Holy Spirit. Both and miracles and mercy. Signs and wonders. Pray for that Robin Hood anointing again. I don't know any other way to express it. It's like Joseph had to take what was in a time of plenty give it to those who are in a time of scarcity. Joseph's storehouses will be filled. You will be used to fill the barns to feed the hungry and heal the sick. Come Holy Spirit. Pray for an impartation 
of the both and mercy and miracles for us. The Lord has put a leadership anointing on you. I see you like a Deborah. In the book of Judges, there's so many men, but then this wild woman of God is raised up. Deborah is released and loose to be a leader under the anointing of the Holy Spirit to bring victory in Israel. And I declare to you that you are not the tail, you are the head. Rise up in your leadership anointing, in the both and anointing of miracles and mercy. Come Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Daddy. Come Holy Spirit. More Lord. More Lord. More Daddy. More Daddy. There is a big anointing on your life. There's a big capacity. Dream big. The Lord says, dream big. Dream big. I say, dream big. Let this mind be filled with God's dreams. For the sake of the nations, for the city and the nations, Lord, come by your spirit. Take my life. 